Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, August 2nd. That means it's time for another episode of the Power Hour. I'll be joined by Pete and Leroy today. Bruce is off goofing around. I don't remember approving that, but we'll make it work. It is a maintenance free for all today. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all to do with maintenance, pick up the phone and join us. We're going to open those lines right now. So start dialing 855-950-3835. Line up the calls. We'll get to those here in just a couple minutes. We're going to hear from Pete and Leroy first, and then we'll find out what's on your mind. So, uh, Pete, welcome back. You ready to dazzle the listeners today? I am, Kevin. All right. Absolutely. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So you had given me an assignment. Yes. About lead in bearings. Just graded. <laughs> yeah, is it going to be graded? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Everything's graded. So I looked online and didn't see much about Detroit. He just didn't give any information. So I, I texted a friend to ask him about it. And he got back to me and said that um, the manufacturers are not using lead in bearings. But he couldn't tell me what was in them, which is no surprise there. Uh, and, and there's two reasons why they're not using it. Uh, one is it's lead, which is that yeah, you know, can we, cause problems. We've, we've, we, we've tried to get lead out of everything, yeah. And then second would be the because of the high cylinder pressures, the lead is not holding up in bearing material. Got it. So then I went to the common site. We have access to, to Insight and put in an X15 serial number and started looking through bearing uh, information. And they're using, they're also not putting lead in bearings and using a material instead of lead um, called bismuth. Have you ever heard of that before? I have. It's an element, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And you've probably used it in other products as well. It's actually an ingredient in Pepto-Bismol. Oh, great. Yeah. So they're using that in bearing material to eliminate the lead and it, it can hold up better. So I don't know if this is something we're going to have to look into with the oil analysis that they're checking for that. We are going to have to. And actually I, I did find, uh, let me go back and see if I can find the material that I had. Where did it go? I'll have to look. Um, there is a bearing on the market now, and it's been on the market since 2016. Um, and they're using polymers instead of lead. Okay. I didn't read that anywhere. I, I read that somewhere when I was. Yeah. So the crazy part here isn't that we're, you know, we have new materials and new bearings. That's awesome. The crazy part is how come nobody knows? This is seven years, six years, whatever it is, six years now since these things hit the market and nobody knows this. That's it just seems. Yeah, I, I would think. And part of the reason, I guess, we're not talking about this is so few people use oil analysis, which is still crazy to me that it's not just common in the industry. And if it were common, we'd all know about this because that's the reason we need to know. 
Hell, I don't, I, I don't care that there, it's a better bearing. That's awesome. But because of oil analysis, we needed to know this stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I'm wondering if, you know, when they come up with a different antifreeze or a different oil filtration, they announce stuff like that. And I wonder if they just wanted to keep this quiet. Yeah, it seems weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's an improvement. The other thing I read, you know, you gave a couple reasons. The other reasons I read was because they keep pushing the viscosity lower and lower because of fuel mileage standards that they know they're going to have to meet. And we, we've gotten so low on viscosity that our traditional bearings wouldn't hold up to it. Yep. Yeah, this material seems to be a little more durable than right. lead. And it's... Right. It, 86% as dense as lead. It's not quite as dense. And it's actually a little bit radioactive. Oh, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Let's get rid of it for lead and then throw some radiation in there. Sure, why not? Why not? Um, so we're not testing for this stuff. I'm positive. We're not testing for the what, bismuth or the element. We're not testing for polymers. So now the story gets a little deeper. We, I only found the polymer material. You found this other material. So we need to start testing for a couple new things. And you probably, we should know when we're testing which bearing is in which engine so we know what we're supposed to be looking for. And I was reading one one thing on the QuickServe that was saying the with the polymer, uh, oh, like overlay, the part of the uh, alloy is mostly copper. So I wonder if oh it says once it's kind of like the polymer overlay, it gets into the copper. So I wonder if that would show up more in oil samples. We see higher copper. Right. And I think we are. Right. I think we are seeing higher copper. We. I, I'm not seeing a problem with the engine. Yeah, we'll see the I've had a couple cases in the last couple months where I said, I don't know what's going on. I think we just talked about one of these. Yeah, um, last week. Yeah. Charlie, I think, had that issue. Right, because I said, we've got this weird amount of copper in here. It's not enough to be an oil cooler leaching. It looks more like bearing wear. Oh, I know why we didn't know for sure, because the engine was new to Charlie. We had no history on it. So we assumed that it's possible the lead was already gone and we weren't able to catch it because this is the first sample and now we're seeing copper. So our recommendation was you should probably pull the pan and look at the bearings. But if we knew that this was an engine that had this different bearing and you might see small amounts of copper now instead of lead first, well then if we know that, we don't need to go pull the pan and look at the bearings. And my question, too, would be, so if the new bearings are with a different material because they're stronger because of the cylinder pressure and the forces on the bearing, so in future, like, are the, does the aftermarket know this? Are they going to make this type of bearing? Or <laughs> right. if you were replacing that bearing in a newer engine and then you have premature failure right? because if you put the wrong type in it. And with Charlie, he has a DDEC-5, so that's an engine that you know, was last made in... Seven, are they going to change those bearings? Because obviously that bearing is different than a DD15. So is it going to be the same? Yeah. You know, eventually I think where we're headed here now, you know, we've talked about the cylinder kits don't seem to wear out anymore. 
you know, we're not rebuilding engines because the cylinder kits are worn out. Now we have bearings that are going to last even longer and our current bearings last quite. We're really getting to the point kind of where we are with cars anymore. Nobody ever replaces an engine in a car or rebuilds them anymore. I mean, that's almost unheard of. And I think we're actually headed there with trucks. We've talked about it before. This bearing issue is just one more step in that direction. These things just aren't going to wear out. It seems like it's going that direction. Yeah. And, and the trucks are getting made cheaper. I mean, the trucks just aren't holding up. Right, right. The better and the Yeah, so I I think what we're going to see is we're going to start running trucks to maybe, you know, maybe a new truck right now with reasonably good care will last to 1.5 million miles. And then at that point, it's just the whole trucks just kind of wore out and we'll probably just start shipping them south. That makes sense. Yeah. Like the Florida or (laughs) (laughs) Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, all the old people. Send them to all the old people. Yeah, it's um, but I, this oil analysis thing is going to become an issue. We we need to know what kind of bearing is now in that engine, and it sounds like we may be looking at three different options. And uh, you can't really tell based on part number. They don't say this is a lead-free bearing. That, you know, yeah. or this bearing has lead in it. Or, are the, you supposed to know? or this one's polymer, this one's bismuth, this one's got lead. And like you said, if we start replacing bearings, then is anybody paying attention to what the bearing is that's going back in? Yeah. Yeah. And if the OEMs won't tell us, how are we going to find out? I know. Um, hey, Pete, I've got some contacts at... Um, um, the oil analysis, but I, it's been a couple of years since I've talked to anybody over there. Um, do you guys have any close contacts now that you're doing all the OPS and the oil samples? And- so Eric here is the one that's handling that. I'll, I'll get with Eric and then see who he talks to and then maybe get on a conference call with them and let them know what's going on. Yeah. Our see, people call your, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, see if we can figure this out. You know, it, it's, bearings are honestly one of the easiest things for us to troubleshoot in an oil sample it's oil samples are awesome when it comes to bearing where you see it immediately it's easy to identify and now that's all changed yeah we actually have more questions than we do answers now yeah yeah exactly we really didn't solve anything we know there's a difference we don't know how to you know fix it or find out what it is right Right. And the, the couple of cases that I've seen now with copper in an oil sample and no lead, but not big numbers of copper, so we don't think it's an oil cooler. Have those been these new bearings? And is that the pattern? Will they start showing some copper first? Or by the time we see copper, do we have a problem? Have we gone completely through the polymer? It almost sounds like one of these polymers might start showing copper early. Well, I think the overlay on a bearing usually is very thick, right, Pete? It's only a Correct, it is. So I think the polymer o- overlay is just very thin, and then you get into the alloy, which is mostly aluminum or something. Yeah. Well, that's what I guess that's what we need to know. You know, is there going to be a test to, to show us that the polymer is starting to come off? And then what are we looking for next? Will it be copper or... Or something else they start to look for, another alloy. I don't know. 
like Pete said, we have more questions now than answers. So Cummins has a um, bear, uh, bearing failure analysis book, and it shows pictures of bearings that, that failed, and then also the overlays, you know, what's in them. But at this point, this book's almost useless. Yeah. yeah. You blow the dust off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like roll, yeah, like on the <laughs> In the ancient times, <laughs> yeah. Huh. All right. Well, we will stay on top of that and see what we can figure out. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about, and then we'll see if you guys have anything else. Um, you know, we've been dealing with supply chain shortages in the beginning. It was mostly because of COVID and lockdowns. Uh, we're still dealing with some of those because China keeps locking down because of COVID. And that's. it seems like we're getting a big wave again. But... The bigger issue on supply chains now is kind of the war in Ukraine, you know, but that is having a big impact on grains and foods and fuel. You know, those are the big things that really were impacted and still being impacted because of that war. Fuel, food, grain, farm, that kind of stuff. Now, um, as we speak, and this whole thing seems like such a debacle. I don't really want to talk about politics, but we kind of have to. Um, this whole Pelosi-Taiwan thing, what the hell happened here? This is, I, she might be landing right now in Taiwan, and China has threatened to shoot down her plane. I mean, what a mess we've created over there now. And if China decides they're going to take over Taiwan over this, which they've been threatening for a couple of years now, um, any disruption in that part of the world has a huge impact on technology, chips. All, a lot of the high-end chips come out of Taiwan. A lot of the low-end chips come out of China. But if those two are in a conflict, we could see some massive issues with, with chips and technology. Okay. I hate when that happens. I know. plane shot down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, not a know, bad day. Yeah. Here's the thing. I just don't understand this administration. The idea of our Speaker of the House, third in line to be president, going to Taiwan is not something casual. You know, it's not like we're dropping in on some country that we have a great relationship with and everything's clear. The last time this happened was 20 some years ago. I think it was uh, Newt Gingrich went over there. So if we were going to do this, I'm not saying we shouldn't go to Taiwan. If we need to go to Taiwan for some reason and the Speaker of the House wants to go, she should go. But it should have been handled a little differently. It shouldn't have been just some casual statement. Oh, Pelosi's going on an Asian tour. Maybe she'll drop in on Taiwan. And then China goes ballistic and starts threatening to shoot her plane down. Now we're screwed because if the U.S., if Pelosi says, oh, well, I'm not going to go because they threatened to shoot me down, then we look like cowards. We can't run our operation like that this country but now that china's made the threat when she lands and they don't shoot her down now they look like cowards i i just can't understand how this was handled so poorly and what a mess this could become yeah it is times where it just he was sleeping dog lie just, just yeah. let it go and, and 
not do anything. Right. Or if you want to go, at, at least do it right. At least come out plenty of time ahead, say, we're planning on going, here's why we're going, and then when the Chinese push back, you can actually talk about it and negotiate it, not just immediately start threatening each other. That really slowed the economy down if that happened. Oh, oh, and like I said, we have to really, the chips are the big issue. Here's the other problem, and we, we should be aware of this. China is threatening. When they threaten to shoot down one of our planes with the third highest ranking member of our government, that's pretty serious. They, here's what they did this morning, though, already. They hit the president's office in Taiwan with a cyber attack. It already happened this morning. China's already, we don't know for sure it was China, but I'm sure we'll know here before long. Um, but the, the, they shut down the, the presidential website in Taiwan for about 20 minutes this morning. That's one way China can hit us pretty easily. We, we are just as vulnerable as everybody else in the world when it comes to cyber attacks. I just, this is just a mess. And you can't do anything about the computers nowadays. No, and we were just nothing. talking about this this morning about the, our, you know, the system. Um, and if, if we would lose the system, I mean, there's just nothing we could do here. I know. I mean, the guys could work on trucks a little bit, but can't bill anyone out, can't ship anything, can't take orders. <laughs> Paper back out. Yeah, <laughs> I know you got them. Well, right next to that bearing book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, some businesses like yours, you still actually put your hands on things and fix them and work on them. And then you have all these computer systems to do all the other stuff. Our business stops without the Internet. Ours is just done. I mean, we close the doors and go home. There's nothing we can do without the Internet. Even going to the supermarket, there's a little store up in one town by me, and I stopped in there, and uh, there's no one in there. And I'm like, that's weird. And, and I go get stuff, and the girl goes, do you have cash? I'm like, well, yeah. And I was just buying like a couple of small things. I'm like, oh, yeah, our machine's down. And there's no one in there because no one has cash in their pocket to buy anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's that yeah, crazy. You make a card. What would people do? do that would be... That'd be very bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Most people don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, it, it, like I said, it's happening right now. So it's something we need to pay attention to. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like if we're in the middle of, you know, two global wars going on somewhere. And like I said, totally opposite parts of the world that affect the supply chain completely differently. But, uh, you know, we, for the last couple of years, we've talked about a lot of these shortages are based on chips. And it's not just the chip. That, that somewhere there's going to be a $100,000 vehicle. It's already happening. Sitting somewhere waiting for a $20 chip. But without it, it doesn't function. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. What does anybody else have now that I've thoroughly depressed everybody? That's a really hard one to follow. I know. I know. I mean, oh, what we got going on back here is uh, we finally got our dyno uh, installed. We're in currently installing our new upgrade. Uh, it's a whole, all new instrumentation, software, um, 
all the hardware. Speaking of chips, it took us eight months to get the chips for the boards for our dyno. Oh, man. We ordered it last October, mm -hmm. and they're finally here putting it in. Wow. Uh, so that's uh, speaking of shortages. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're pretty excited about getting that all put together. It's quite a project to, um, you know, tear that all down. And, you know, a lot of people were, we had to push the schedule around a little bit uh, to shut the dyno down to do this. So it's kind of under the, under the gun a little bit, uh, try to get it all installed in time, but it's going to bring a lot of new upgrades and it's going to make troubleshooting easier. It's going to make reports easier. Good. Um, just our thing is better. Just, it's going to be just a leap in the right direction. I think our old system is like, you know, 10 to 15 years old. So, uh, this is really what we need and, and, uh, pretty excited about it. Yeah. You know, you guys are one of the few shops really, um, that really uses a dyno to its capabilities. You know, most other shops, they might throw a truck on there to try to find a problem, but you just don't see it being used a lot. Um, when I was hanging out with you guys, that dyno is busy. <laughs> that thing is being used constantly, but you guys use it the right way. I mean, you actually use it as a real troubleshooting tool. And that was what I was joking with that guy. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I bet you don't, most of your customers don't use their dyno as much as we do. And he's like, oh, no, we one guy we have, they when they break in a an engine or something, they do eight, ten-hour tests what? to break in an engine. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, well, we, we don't do that much. I, but all they're doing is just putting it on the dyno and letting it run. I, I, they have an automatic test cycle they go through, they go through but yeah, they put, uh, they put 80 hours on it before they consider it broken in. <laughs> like, well, okay, they... More than we do, so a, never mind. A, a little overkill. I don't even understand the concept. How many trucks would he have on 80 hours? Well, well what is that? Times like 45,000? <laughs> he has 60 trucks on that time but, frame. Uh, somebody would have to explain to me why this is any different than just going and driving the truck for 80 hours. I don't know. I don't know. That would be awful expensive. That's a lot of time and money. It's a lot of fuel. To do that. Time on the dyno, like, oh. fuel. Uh, yeah, you think about the cost of this running that thing for 80 hours, and it what does it accomplish? Nothing. If he was showing me all about this feature, he's real jazzed up on the pause feature. He's like, oh, you can just pause a test and come back later. I was like, well, yeah, hey, that's cool, but what? Are we, I, don't, I can't think of a reason he would ever do that. He was telling me about well, you might be six hours into a test and you have an oil leak. Six hours <laughs> like, into a test? <laughs> How is that possible? Jeez. I, I don't know. Uh, and then I guess they have it at Kenworth. So I guess Kenworth runs their, their trucks on it all day long. So, um, you know, With the technology nowadays, I mean, these trucks break in so quick. I mean, you know, 25 years ago, we would build an engine in the winter and... You know, the guy was bobtailing back home. We were concerned, hey, is it going to break in? Because um, he didn't have the heat is or the load on it nowadays. Right. Yeah. An hour in the dyno and it's broke in. Exactly. Like 4,000 miles on them now. Yeah. I mean, it broke in. It, it broke in. But. 80 hours. Holy cow. That's, yeah. <sighs> Part of your warranty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's right. Who's got a... Four thousand miles. Yeah, you better disconnect the odometer before you do that. Holy cow! 
All and I right. Had to give him the fail after the engine in. <laughs> we also put four thousand miles at yeah. five miles per gallon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. What else we got? That's all I have. Pete, uh, anything like, else? Nope. I, I want to try to um, try to get some more information from bearings and, and oil analysis. And yeah, I think that's the um, the direction we should take on that now is start talking to the labs and the oil analysis people. I, I can't believe that we this product's been on the market for at least six years. The polymer bearings have, uh, and we know nothing about this, and nobody's talking about the oil analysis. Yeah, I'm sure the lead free's been out since the common rail fuel system. That's when the cylinder pressures have gone up. So that's been out quite a while. Yeah, yeah. How? That's just crazy. So let's see what we can find out from the labs. I, I have to believe they know something about what's going on with this. Uh, the other thing, um, I haven't really dug into this yet, but I saw a headline, so I know it's coming. We're heading for a new oil API again. There's another one coming out. What's the difference with the new one? I just, I, I had, that's what I, I need to go dig deeper and figure out what they're changing again. But it's, I'm sure it's the same kind of progress. Who knows? Maybe there's a new oil that's better for the polymer bearings. Um, that's the kind of stuff we typically see as the engine design changes. Then they change the oils to meet the new requirements. So I guess in the last couple of years, they've made enough changes in engine design again that we need a new oil. And the last one was kind of interesting because the last API we got was the first time ever that we created two APIs. So now it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Are we still, I'm pretty sure we're still going to have two going forward because the new engine designs are so radically different than the old engines were still running. We now have to have two different API classifications for oil. So many different things, like different rabbit holes, things to keep up with. I know. I know. It's hard to keep up. You can't be an expert and just like, how would, when was that ever come across my radar? Like, oh, there's a new API. Even antifreeze. How many different colored antifreezes are there? There, And each color has, you know, colored different for a reason. Yeah. And like, well, yeah, you can't, hard to be an expert in everything. I, you know, and here's the thing. I did a deep dive into antifreeze probably 10 years ago because I was confused all the different colors, which one goes in which engine. So the interesting thing was I learned a lot about coolant back then. If I remember right, there's only four factories in the U.S. that actually makes coolant. Um, and yet we have, you know, 82 different brands of coolant they're all made in the same four factories um, and they're all pretty similar, but there are clearly differences. Certain engines would do much better with certain coolants. The interesting thing was I came across a survey. They, they surveyed um, not, not mechanics or technicians, but service managers. This was service managers only almost 60% of service managers, heavy truck facilities around the country, almost 60% could not tell you which coolant was supposed to go in which engine. That's the service manager. 
I'm surprised that number's not even higher to be truthful. I, I kind of thought the same thing too, but it's pretty bad when the person I should be able to trust to tell me this stuff, more than half of them don't know the right answer. So when Detroit decided to go with the purple antifreeze, which was low nitrate, I think so. Yeah, that sounds was. right. So we got a, a bulletin on someone had sent us and like, hey, you guys aware of this? And we're like, no. So we called people we buy our Detroit parts from and they had no idea. <laughs> no idea that even exists. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, how do they keep up? I, so years yeah. ago, comments, they would send us a, once a week, we would get some information and it was updates. It was actually helpful. Now, a lot of it would be um, stuff that didn't apply to us. I mean, it was all the Cummins engines. So if it was something on a piece of equipment that we don't deal with, I didn't look at. You know, right. If it was NTC ISX and I'd read out what's going on here. Um, and, and they quit doing that. But that, they almost need to do that, the engine manufacturers, to keep us informed. This yeah. life has like a letter that's out every now and then. You can, when we like logging in our side of it. Um, we can see if they put out like a service service bulletin that says like, oh, special case, you know, this is what's going on. But yeah. after like so long or they've taken actions, they bury it like within their system. So when you go to look at the letter again, it's like, oh, this letter has been moved to somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. We don't know where. It's just, it's, just, it's been moved. There was letters about like, oh, crankshaft bearing this or this. There's some sort of update. Like, hey, what's the update? Well, this letter has been moved to this server. <laughs> so why can't I read the letter? Right. I know. You took the time to write something in this spot to tell me that it's been moved. Why didn't you just give me a link? Yeah, just leave it in the archive. Right. So if we ever need to look at it, yeah. uh, You know, the only reason I really know so much about the oil APIs this last time with the two different and the only reason I know so much about that is because one of the oil companies reached out to me and paid me uh, to go around and talk about the new APIs as they were coming out. I really like it when somebody else pays me to do my job, the, the research, because there's a lot. I mean, there's just think about the truck itself. You have all the different engines now, which are not similar at all. Engines used to be really similar. You had three or four engines. They all worked about the same. If you knew how to work on one, you knew how to work on them all. That's not true anymore. So now you have to keep up with all the different engine technologies. Transmissions are now wildly different. We have so many. We have new manufacturers on the market. Used to be, you know, Eaton and Spicer was about it. Uh, Mac had their own, but now everybody has their own. And then you start thinking about coolant and oils, and now we're talking about bearings that have changed and tires constantly changing and emissions. You know, we have different emission systems now. And just trying to keep up with the truck for me, all that reading, and then think about taxes and health and politics and all the other stuff we do on the show. So it's no wonder I read six hours a day, which still isn't enough. So I like it when somebody gives me the incentive and pays me to go do it. I'm hoping maybe I'll reach out to them. Um, that same oil company, since we're doing the API thing again, maybe they'll pay me to go talk about it. And then that gives me an incentive to go do all the research. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So we'll see. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into some phone calls. Phone lines are wide open. 
We've got lots of room, so jump in right now and start dialing. We will be here till, uh, oh, at least another 30 minutes or until we run out of questions. So line them up, 855-950-3835. We're going to head off to Georgia to get started. Raymond, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. What can we help you with today? I'm a little highly frustrated here at the Loves here at the... Uh, never mind that problem. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, my, my, I was bragging about my Volvo. Well, last time I, I hung up talking about my new Volvo. You okay? Okay. Well, I drove that little girl 400 miles to... I went to Worldwide Equipment in Somerset to get the check engine light turned on. The girl comes out and says, man, this sounds like a good engine. They don't make all that racket. I'm back over the hill and the baby breaks a valve sitting right there idling in the parking lot. Oh. Yes. It broke. It, it didn't, didn't drop a valve. It broke the corner off. Broke, you know what happened when the, you know what happened when the metal falls down there? So, oh, yeah. End of story there. $25,000 later, I might have an engine. I don't know. The beauty of this thing is, I want, I want, I cannot say enough good things about Mr. Tom Gavran right now. He's the gentleman I bought it from in Spring Lake, Illinois. He has started his own business installing electric APUs. And his website is electricapu.com. Pretty simple. I want to push that guy because he had the heart to send me 10 grand back, man. Really? I can't believe it. I really is. I wish I told him. I paid him. I paid him what he asked. I paid him fifty-five thousand dollars for a twenty-sixteen Volvo with eight forty-five on it, eight thirty-five or something on the miles. Eight eight forty, let's say. And I knew the miles were high, but I thought, well, hell, this thing's got one point three million miles. for what they're saying. Well, maybe some do and some don't. So. Huh. <laughs> it's right. Uh, yeah. So well. She's uh, she broke a valve sitting right at the dealership. Now, idling. I know it when it so, happened. Yeah. So, instantly the dash stood up, you know, right? And, and. So, Pete, I'm just <laughs> curious. How many um, how many broken valves do you see in a year? Very few. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty rare. It's an uncommon failure. But I think we're going to see more of that causing you to rebuild an engine than actually, you know, one wearing out. Oh, there's a thought. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, huh. I asked, I asked how carbon up it was. He said not too bad. So no, I know. I mean, of course, I, I don't think he'd ever run the catalyst or anything in it. So I mean, yeah, I'm sure not. Uh, and I, that would help. I'm not sure. I may have missed something there. How many miles was on this? Eight. Let's say eight forty. It's either eight thirty five or eight forty five. I can't. Uh, okay, I thought I had heard one one point three million in there somewhere. What was that? Oh, I said I was expecting that. Oh, much got, it. got it. Well, yeah, you're right. And, but, but before yeah. I had problems, yeah. yeah, you're right. That that's what it, we it's, should it's, expect. It's a D thirteen, a D thirteen I twelve man, the best setup in the world supposedly. And broke a valve idling. Huh. I mean, but. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that is, so, that, that's I, I, unusual. Me, 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 me and Tom, the previous owner, have been in close contact because he cared. I could tell he cared well, about I, my success with this trip. Obviously, he really did. if he gave you $10,000 back because of that, that's pretty incredible. 
Nobody does that. Well, that's, I told him, you know, I pay, I, I, I pay a little over market for it because I, I, I trusted him and the engine and all that stuff. I, I, here's the way I approached it. I said, man, I know this is fully my responsibility. You are not responsible for this at all. However, if you wanted to hit me a little back, I wouldn't care. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I got more. Yeah. That's what you were saying the other day about taking responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. I took full responsibility. <laughs> I did. A first valve broken valve is just—I mean, you don't foresee that coming. You know that. You know, yeah, I know. All the oil testing in the world would never, never told us about this problem. You know, it. it I mean, it, it was no different than the last catastrophic failure I had on an engine, a Series sixty. We know those things are just about <laughs> bulletproof. Seven hundred easy, yeah. <laughs> seven hundred thousand easy miles on that truck, and I was bobtailing and almost coasting when I put a rod through the block. <laughs> well, actually, this is my second catastrophic engine failure. I blew a uh, C12 all through hell coming out of Ohio. I was picking up a valve top off the road, man, after I, <laughs> I crammed into the gas station. Right. Yeah. yeah, I swear to God, man, I go, there was a couple of valve tops laying behind me. Yeah. The whole um, side of the block had a hole in it, you know, right? And you're right. There, there is, <laughs> There's no way that I know of to have any clue that a catastrophic failure is coming. Oil sampling doesn't do it. I don't know anyway. of any other way of finding it. They just, they happen. And when they happen, you just have to deal with them. And it sucks. Right? There, there's almost nothing you can do to prevent it. And there's nothing you can do yeah, to predict right. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the future now. All right. What oh, should hey, I do with this hey, truck while before, it's in the shop? Should, before, should I? Before we do, before we do, I want to thank you. Um, I like this electric APU site a lot. I may reach out to this guy and see if we can get him on the show. Praise God. Yes, do it, man. Yeah. This... I'm telling you, he, he, he is a Bosnian man who came over here and worked his ass off for five years running back to California this truck and built him a little nest egg. Yeah. I the... said, man, I'm proud of you now, most citizens. I, I really, I mean. All this ball, this generation we got over here, man, it just, it just drives me up the fucking wall. Yeah, I'm I, sorry, I didn't mean to say that word. You're allowed. I guess we can. We're not an open <laughs> air anymore. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're allowed. We don't care anymore. Um, you know, <laughs> one of the things I've said for years now, uh, we've been looking at electric for, you know, uh, hotel loads in the truck. And I've said, we're, we're just not there yet. It can be done. All the parts are out there, but you kind of have to cobble together your own system. There isn't a lot of plug and play stuff on the market. And that's kind of what he's done here. And I'm looking, I mean, I'm just looking real quick, but I'm pretty familiar with all this stuff. And he, it looks like he's put together a hell of a system for a really good price. I'm not sure what his price even is, but if I get the Volvo going, here's the beauty of this situation, too. My son, he's had, he's had a CDL since he's 18 years old. He's thinking about giving her a try, and I have to have two trucks. So when when well, she comes out of the shop, he may be driving her. I don't know, but if he is, I'm going to take this international up there and get me one of them things put in here. Well, here's here's kind of the system. It makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to dig a little deeper into this, but you get a split AC system. 
which is what I really recommend. That's like a mini split at home. They're really efficient. So you get a split AC system, 9,000 BTU. You get four AGM deep cycle batteries. They put a really nice new battery box on the frame. Um, All these smart chargers. Looks like a really nice battery monitoring system that goes with it. It's all installed and everything is 8,500 bucks. That's not bad at all. I don't think so. I mean, really, I mean, what you're getting. Now, his system on the Volvo also heats the water up through the s bar. Yeah. Oh, when you, hey. start, you start up when it's cold, it makes you 100 degrees before you even start the truck. Hey, uh, I... And it's in the wintertime. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to... I'm going to jump back to your original issue um, because... Yeah, go ahead. We just heard from Joel... And I was wondering in the back of my mind, and I, I was I was actually going to reach out to Joel and ask him this um, when you started talking about this. H- how many times have you heard Joel talk about exhaust plungers on the Volvo? Have you ever heard him talk about uh, it? I, I'm, I'm, I'm newly familiar with the injector cups because the guy had went so far to put new injector cups in before I got the truck. He yeah. says it's very little cost for the parts, but it's labor. It's labor intensive, right? So part of so, the overhead yeah. on the Volvo should should include verifying the settings on those exhaust plungers and then lock tightening them down. And it is a problem on that engine. And a lot of shops don't understand that process and they weren't doing it. And this is what happens. Um, a cylinder balance test well, is what I they need to mention that to my current shop then. Yep. What? what uh, run, run that by me one more time. So here's, are you on? Uh, what kind of plunger? Are, are you on truckingtribe.com? I'm on, <laughs> I think I'm on Healthy Tribe. Okay. Not, not, I don't think I'm, maybe, I, do I need to join all three sites? That's another question I, I, hey, I need to ask you. The, you know, if, if you're asking, the, uh, trucking, if you're asking me if you should spend more money with us, the answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I apologize, too. I haven't ordered anything from the store lately. No, that, the first that, thing I did, that, sir, when, when, I, when I heard you'd been fired, I ordered, ordered 100 something all of this stuff. Thank so, you. I really uh, appreciate that. So here's, here's what we We just need to get you in touch with Joel, whether it's on Facebook or Healthy Tribe or Trucking Tribe right. or wherever. Reach out to Joel because he will walk you right through this. Um, they are exhaust plungers. That's what we're talking about. Um, but exhaust plunger, okay. exhaust plunger, Never heard of such. exhaust plunger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it, if Joel's really good, he spends a lot of time helping people with this kind of stuff. He, he'll walk you right through this, tell you exactly what to say to the dealer, the whole shot. And you know, this truck, man, it looks like brand friggin' new on the inside. Now it does. That's how good a care he's taking so, of it. So even, even put, put new, new brake chambers on all the way around. Isn't this crazy that, (laughs) let's think about this, something as simple as checking this setting and then getting it right and putting a little bit of Loctite on. And because it wasn't done, we lost an entire engine. Well, I'm not sure it wasn't done, sir. I mean, I I don't know what they they know of her. I mean, he's got a mechanic that works right there in his shop with him. Probably not a Volvo guy, but but a damn good mechanic. You know, I mean, just a. So I don't know whether I, I'll have to ask about the exhaust plunger thing. I mean, did yeah, you lock that down? Maybe that's what problem. 
Check. I, I, it, Check. Yes, I, I will. Know it's, I know it's common I'll, because Joel's been talking about it for a couple of years now. Well, I'll, I'll even call my shop after a while and see, see if they Good. pick Good. that up. The yeah, exhaust you, you know, wasn't set right, maybe, or something. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. Um, we could go back and blame everybody for not knowing this kind of stuff, but we, just, we that's kind of our theme today, well, that we were talking about all these <laughs> service bulletins and how do, you, how do you keep up with all this stuff. So I think rather than just blaming everybody and saying, oh, my God, they didn't know, we should educate these people. that's the only way we're going to fix this is if we start every time we identify something, share it. So go back to your shop and say, Hey, you know, I was talking about this. Somebody told me that the exhaust plunger could cause this. See if they know. And if they don't, maybe we can educate them. So it doesn't happen to somebody else. Sir, it might be an intake valve. I'm not sure which I think it's an exhaust. It got to be the small one. I've got pictures of it. I mean, I can send you a picture. Yeah. Well, like I said, it, it reach out to Joel. Let let's get this right and let's go back and maybe educate your yeah. shop and yeah. maybe we Doctor, can. Yeah. Joel, Joel, what's his last name? Morrow. Not Salison, the other one, right? Yeah, Morrow. Joel, who? Morrow. M O R R O W. O W. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a Mar in our country. Well, there you go. Amar, yeah. Yeah, there Morrow, you go. Joel Morrow, is he .com or how do I get a hold of it? Uh, like I said, either Facebook, truckingtribe.com, um, this Friday. Okay, I got his name now. down yeah. here. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll follow him up, yeah. You know, set an alarm and call us this Friday when Joel's on the air with me, and we'll talk about it here. I will try, you know I, I, will, I will try to make that a point. 11 o'clock. Be on the, I'll be 11 o'clock in um, Eastern time. Or, yeah. Yep. Yep. We'll talk about okay. it on Friday. Hey, one more, one more little thing here. Sure. I, I've been running the catalyst, and I've been mixing that gray power service with it. I think I picked up a mile gallon doing that. Well, great. Experimentation. Experimentation with a little, 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 little catalyst, a little power service with it. It seems to run like hell and seems to get, I, I don't have a number behind it just yet, but I will. Give me a little time, you know. All right. Anyway. We'll look forward to it. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Have a good day, Kev. You, I love you, brother. You too. Talk See to you, you soon. Thanks for the call. Sorry about that valve. Man, that sucks. Let's, uh, let's go to Georgia. Scott, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. It's Scott. Thanks for being there. Hey, um, a couple of days ago, I had a heater hose bust on me, and I got off the side of the road and uh, put in what I had for coolant to get me to the closest truck stop, and it was the red stuff, the right stuff. And when I got to the truck stop to finish figuring out where the bust was, uh, I used their coolant, which was only the green stuff. Now, eventually, I had uh, Love's uh, Roadside come out and get the, the get to the hose and get it fixed. And they put in 12 uh, gallons of the red, correct, coolant, uh, but they didn't drain out the old green. Do you think that's a problem leaving it mixed? 
you know, here we go again with all the different coolants and not, nobody seems to know the answer to these kind of questions. My experience, and Pete, you can probably jump in and help here. My experience is many times you can mix coolant and it's okay, but other times I've seen coolant mixed and it turns to sludge and I've never known why or which two you shouldn't mix. or So because I've never really been positive I've always been, if you're not sure, drain it all and make sure you've got one coolant in there, whichever one you choose. And then know which one. If you're using green coolant only, you should be recharging that stuff pretty regularly. Like it used to be we would put a new water filter on every 15,000 miles and that's what recharged the coolant. When you go to the red or long life, all the different colors, then you're good for like 600,000 miles, I think. But uh, I, I'm not a fan of mixing them just because we're not Me sure neither. what's going to happen. Yeah, the red and the green don't look just well. Go ahead. looks like mud. That's what now, I thought. Now, they put 12 yeah. gallons. Pretty much the capacity of the cooling system, radiator and block. Yeah, they that's true. did indeed do 12. So it might not have had much, uh, under ideal circumstances, they should have drained the block and the engine and topped it up. But if they put 12 in there, they, they might have done that. May have been so close to empty yeah, it's, anyway. It's still got some color in it, though. It doesn't, it's not straight red. It's got some some green tint to it. So I was just worrying about that. Yeah, I think so, I'll just go ahead and drain it. I'm, I'm like you guys. I don't want it mixed. Yeah, I have a feeling that it, it, it won't look like red with green tint after a while. Like Pete said, it's going to look like mud. And those two seem to be the two that don't play well together at all. It starts to get thick and sludgy. And I, it's a tough call because 12 gallons is just about all of it. But if you can still see that there was some green coolant in there, I think I would drain it and start over. That's what I'll do. Just one more question, if I can. Sure. Um, had the overhead done a few months back, and my mechanic said I'm going to need a new cam soon. I've been doing the oil samples. What should I be looking for? This is an ISX? Yes. <laughs> How did I know that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pete, can, can you explain to him what it looks like when that starts happening? So, generally, it doesn't always show up in an oil analysis. Almost It, it comes off in... So you're not going to see it. Now, fortunately, because it's an overhead cam engine, it's just a matter of pulling the valve cover off and inspecting it. Now, what we do, you know, if you're in my shop and we're doing overhead and we find that the cam's starting to go, we'll take a picture, uh, give you a copy. I keep the copy on, uh, on a computer here. And on the ISX, they don't change. Like, the wear of the cam doesn't progress very quickly. So you will have some time, you know, unlike say an N14 or a DDEC three or four, if the cam is bad, you need to replace it sooner than later, uh, fairly quickly. Um, you know, so you do have some, some time, but if they didn't take a picture, pull the valve cover, take a couple pictures and then you know, start saving your money up. Cause this is not a inexpensive repair. Yeah. They tell me probably 6,000. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there was about six months ago. He said, I asked, I pinned him down. I asked him how long it'd probably be good. And he said six months. Should I go in preemptively and take care of it or just keep I, looking like you said? I think I'd just look at it again. Okay. I like that idea. 
and, and take a picture, like I said, and also, you know, if it's starting to chunk off, you know, really bad. So generally a lot of the cams would wear the high spot off and on the ISXs, they don't always do that. They, the whole way around it will get rough and some of it's pretty minor. Uh, you know, if it's looking like it's coming off in big chunks or you got a bunch of lobes bad, then you'll want to do it sooner than later and take some pictures and then compare, you know, for what it takes the, the valve cover gaskets reusable, pull the valve cover off and, and take a peek in a couple months and then keep an eye on it. Great. You guys are great. Thanks so much for what you do. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, let's go to Wisconsin and talk to Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hello guys. Thanks for everything you do there. Say I got a Packard, uh, in a Kenworth, I was just wondering what Pittsburgh Power can do to do to something like that to, to uh, you know, improve fuel mileage, whatever. What year is it? 20, 2020. Uh, 2020. Yeah, we don't have the ability to, as far as the tune goes, we don't have the ability to connect to it um, with our tuning tools. We can, we can read the file out of it, but we can't write back to it. The security that they have on it is hard to crack. And the company that we use that makes the tool to read and write it hasn't cracked the encryption or the security on it yet. So as far as the tune goes, we don't have anything for that quite yet. Oh, you don't. Okay. And anything yeah. else that not, not much you can do, probably put one of them uh, fuel purifiers or whatever they call them on there. Um, the fast fuel system. Yeah. 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 Have you tried running the catalyst? I do. Yeah, I do okay. run the catalyst. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does fine. I mean, there's. I just looking to improve. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it seems to be be okay for what it is. You know what I mean? But there's anyway, something we're working on, but not ready yet. So. Oh really? Maybe in the future, huh? Sure. Yeah, down the okay. line. Uh, it's just kind of in its infancy. It. So. Sure. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, well, you know what? We might... uh we might be wrapping this up. We have, uh, we have full, what, five minutes left or so in the hour, so we'll hang out here for a little bit. Plenty of room if you want to get through right now. We'll hang out. We'll take a couple more calls. Phones have been quiet today, so lots of room if you want to jump in. 855-950-3835. If you have anything at all to do with maintenance, Pick up the phone and give us a call. We'll hang out here a couple more minutes. Um, tomorrow, while I've got some time. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Pete. So you had mentioned about um, you had talked to the oil people and they had you do some research. Do you think they would be, um, you know, the engine manufacturer would let them know what's going on with the bearings for them to formulate the oil? Ah, think they might have point. some insight that's a good point. I'll reach out. Um, yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I might as well reach out and see if they want to do anything with the new APIs coming out. And I'll ask them about this uh, bearing issue at the same time. I, I would think the engine manufacturer would need to let them know. Yeah. Uh, you would think that's where it starts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so they might have like than we would. Or what the Cummins or Detroit would share with anyone else. You know, I wonder even that, if you didn't call it. Yeah. 
aftermarket fairing company like Molly or something like that. I wonder if they would know because I would imagine that, if they're a pretty big company, that's they who, probably have bearings for them. That's who Thomas makes the, That's who makes the polymer bearing that I found. Yeah, so maybe you could get some sort of tech guy, tech sales, or something like that. If you give you a few minutes of your time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, now that I think about it, it's almost like it's, it usually happens the opposite way. The, well, let me think about it. The engine manufacturers change something and then the oil companies have to respond to it. So, yeah, you're right. The engine manufacturer should be working directly with the oil company saying, this is our new design. This is what we're working on. We need an oil to handle this. Yeah, because that's part of the engine design is what oil and, you know, everything like that. Yeah, tolerances, materials, all kinds of stuff. So, all right. Right. Yeah, well, all right, we've got some calls, so let's grab them. Let's head off to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Um, I just want to say about my visit to Pittsburgh Power last week. Yeah, you know, I, I made that appointment about two months ago, and I booked three days. Well, it turned out I was there three and a half because the turbo took a dump on the way up there. But <laughs> good timing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good timing on the turbo's behalf. So, um, but it, it wasn't the original turbo, but the turbo that was on there, I'm pretty sure it'd been on my truck for about six hundred thousand miles, and it was used when I got it. And it cost a thousand bucks. So, yeah, I think you either got way, your money I think I got it. my money. I think so. Yeah. So, but at just short of one point one million miles, and my truck had a Cummins campaign to, for the replacement of the the SCR catalyst. So, I got my money's worth out of that one as well. And I got there Monday night, Tuesday morning. The truck's in the shop, and they're working on it. And Friday morning, or middle of the day, it was finished, and I was ready to go trucking. So if I just showed up somewhere at someone else's shop, and it's like, I'd probably still be sitting there because they wouldn't have even got to me already, probably. You know, so we'll get to you next week, maybe. So, You, you know, as crazy as this sounds... And I'm kind of saying this tongue in cheek, but I'm almost rooting for the recession. Yeah. I'm hurt a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I want to get back to the point where I can pick up the phone and when I need something, I call somebody and they actually come and do something and I pay them. That's almost impossible anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I spent a big chunk of money, but the turbo was a big chunk of it. But, um, when I left there, it's like new turbo. I got to try it out. Well, it, it shoots up to. I don't, I don't have a digital gauge, but it was probably thirty-eight or thirty-nine psi if I wanted it. But normally I don't go that high. But I just wanted to see. Yeah. So pretty yeah. sure the the horsepower is right there. So this isn't trucking related, but it's the same issue. And I've talked about it. Where I'm, you know, I'm an hour away from you know the nearest city and pretty remote and so it's even harder to try to get anything done out here um i've been trying to get some stonework done around the house and i it's been 
probably four or five months. And we have a guy who's done stonework for us before. And we said, hey, we have a job. When you've got some time, come on over. Um, We haven't heard from him. But now I'm watching him work on a house across the street. (laughs) And I'm sure it's because it's a bigger job. I just just have a little job. But after the show, I'm going to walk over and say, hey, you're right here. How about coming over and finishing or, you know, do this little job? But it's just everything anymore. I can't get anything done. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then they, they ran the overhead. They put a new sump on my truck because it got dented at another shop. Um, cleaned the DPF, which came back. He said it flowed just as I've been using the catalyst. Um, and it, he said it flows just like a new one. So cause when I looked at it, I've never seen one. I've seen pictures when they use the catalyst and it, you know, it looks like the, orange or red brick and uh i i thought it looked kind of nasty but the dpf guy he looked at it and he said oh no this looks good this will clean up good okay and it, it come back as good as a new one so i'm a happy camper there you go yeah so but i, I need to i need to get back to work to uh recover that money that i spent up there but a big chunk of it was parked so yeah yeah but it was a visit that was my annual pilgrimage was worth it once again. So, there you yeah. go. There you go. So that's all, all right. I got today. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. We're going to go to Georgia this time. Leslie, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? I've got an issue with a knot sensor. I've got a 2019 Cascadia with a DD-15. And about a year and a half ago, uh, the knock sensor went out. The truck went into D-rates. I went into a dealership. They replaced it, did a force regen. Everything's great. I've been running the Catalyst. Uh, well, my truck's got 452,000 miles on it. I've been running the Catalyst for about the last 200,000. And... I haven't had any problems up until about two weeks ago, and I had a check engine light come on. And after being stuck in D-rate and driving 50 miles an hour for about 100 miles, (laughs) I said, well, I better get in and have this checked out. And they said, it's your knock sensor. And they said, we can replace it. This was at a TA, and they had the part, and the guy got in there to work on it and he said i can't get the sensor out it's seized so i'm not going to replace it i'm going to refer you to a dealership well every dealership i checked with i checked with about three different ones they were all a week out so i didn't get into it but once he finished and put everything back together the light went off and the code cleared right Mm-hmm. So, right. I drove the truck uh, about three weeks, I guess it was, and uh, or excuse me, about about three days, <laughs> and the the light came back on. Well, I just so happened to be shut down in Albuquerque at the TA, and I got them to check it out, and he said it's the knock sensor, and I said, well, that's what I figured it was. He said. I can pull it out and clean everything, and that might fix it. So he pulled out 
the sensor on the exhaust port, and he said it was carboned up pretty bad, and he cleaned it, and he pulled out the, the sensor on the uh, the DEF port, and he cleaned it out and said it was crusted up with that white stuff. He said, now, this, he said, your light will probably go off after you kill it and crank it about five times. And the code, though, is stuck in the system. I can't get the code out. And, of course, he charged me about $450 to do that. And I said, okay, well, maybe that'll fix it. And I drove about three days, and it's back on again. Any idea what's going on? And do well, I need to have that sensor replaced? <laughs> and is it something to do with the catalyst, or is the catalyst helping or hurting or not doing a thing, or what? Well, there's a couple things to unpack here. Um, you said a lot there, and there's I, I kind of want to keep speaking up. But so the first thing, um, first comment is they're all seized. So they never just come right out. So that was the first thing. Um, okay. The second one is when it throws the fault code, is it the inlet one or is it the outlet knock sensor? I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't uh, know. I'm assuming based on you said that it was carboned up that it's the inlet one. Uh, so I'm just going to go on the assumption that's the inlet one. And okay. when it throws the code, is what is the description for the code? Does it say that it, that is erratic? Uh, incorrect? Does it say that there's no connection to the uh, knock sensor? Does it say that the sensor is drifted? Uh, what is what is sort of the description it gives you? Uh, again, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, like for instance, if it's a can communication um, code to the inlet knock sensor, so the knock sensor itself is unlike other sensors that are just wired right to the ECM. The knock sensor has a little control board, like a little computer with the knock sensor. So it gets its reading. Right. It's, it's, it, it sets on the side of the uh, DPF filter. The little right. Board. And then it does its processing inside of that board and then sends it back to the data link back to the ECM, right? In your case, back okay. to the MC. So if the fault code is for uh, lost data link connection to the uh, knock sensor itself, well, that could be an ECM or wiring problem. It's the ECM is saying, hey, knock sensor, are you there? And if it doesn't hear anything back, it throws a code and says there's no knock sensor. It's the same thing, the same code that would pop up if you unplugged it. So in that case, no, you wouldn't need to unplug it. The, if it's like a sensor drift code, I believe that there is a procedure in there to um, re-zero it because not, sensors do drift over time. Uh, usually the okay, I, I just looked it up, and it did say that it's the inlet knock sensor drift low box code. Yeah, so sensors do drift over a while, and in I know in Cummins, I don't do as many DDs here. We just don't see as many. I'd like to see more, um, but there is a procedure inside of the software. You can go in and reset the sensor drift. So what I mean by sensor drift is if this is typically your zero mark, right? When the engine is just sitting there key on, not running, the knock sensor should read zero parts per million of knocks. If the sensor has and you turn the key on, as long as the sensor is warm, then it should read zero. If it reads 10, 20, 30, then you're basically offsetting your actual reading by, you know, 10, 20, 30, 100 ppm, whatever, however far that sensor has drifted. 
which would give the ECM a bad reading, saying the sensor the sensor looks like it's reading wrong. Replace me. Um, okay, so so this is probably just an adjustment that needs to be done, and I don't have to worry about a derate. Well, I, I w- if it were here, I would want to see. Well, if it's saying sensor drift low, like, well, well, what is the reading? What is it saying? Is it is it typical for what it's supposed to do? Like when those guys replaced and went out back and did a regen, they should sit in the truck and watch the data as it comes in and see if everything is back up to snuff. That's that's the reason you would do a regen. I mean, most people do a regen after they replace the sensor because they. That's mostly what you have to do to clear the code. Um, yeah, but yeah, and the, the guy in Albuquerque, he tried, he he did a regen, but he couldn't get the code to clear. Yeah, there, there is also a way to clear permanent codes inside of the software. I don't know if maybe his version doesn't have that, but there is a way. Yeah, to well, clear they have they have that uh, J Pro software that they use at TA, and yeah, that's have dealer level. You know, right. Um. So that could be it. Um. But no, you can't really clean the sensors. So I. I've heard it both ways. Some people say I cleaned it. I didn't have any issues. That's what most people say. Some people say they cleaned it and it works fine. But just the way that the sensor works, you can't really spray with contact clean or anything. Um, that's just not the way the sensor works. Uh, but before I would replace it again, I want to see what the reading is and you know, come to some sort of conclusion to whether I need to replace it or not or what is going on. Is it something else that's leading to that? Um, so... Is, is the sensor being damaged because something else is reading wrong and it's getting a lot of carbon? Uh, just, right. there's, there's a lot of steps there, but you shouldn't have to replace the sensor every, you know, couple months. It sounds like is what you're doing. Yeah. Well, like I say, it was replaced about a year and a half ago. And, uh, and how many miles did you put on in a year and a half? Uh, I would say about 160 probably. Yeah, I mean, so when that truck is new, it puts more than 160,000 miles on before it throws a knock sensor code, nine times out of ten. They usually right, make their right. warranty, and then, you know, when they're out of warranty, they get rid of the truck. Now they have all these issues. So the sensor is known to last that long. So there's something causing it to fail early or just the wrong part is being replaced. But, I mean, I think that needs to be investigated a little further before we just keep throwing expensive knock sensors at it, so. So the best thing to do is get it into the dealer and have them check it and see if yeah. they can recalibrate that drift that you're talking about. Yeah, they need to zero the uh, sensor drift. Um, if there is an ability to do that in Detroit, I believe that there is. Uh, I know there is an ISX, but I'm not quite sure on DD off the top of my head. Um, okay. That, and like I said, so, run the region or take it for a road test, see what the values are actually giving you and you can make a better determination of what has actually failed. So it's going to be the end of the month before I get back home, and uh, I can put it in the dealer, because even if it takes a week, I can leave it there with them. Is it going to give me any problems with the check engine light being on? I mean, I sure hope not, but that's kind of a (laughs) hard one to say. Um, Yeah, I, I can't say either way. Yeah, well, if it was your truck, would you run it until you got home in a month? Um, you said a month? Yeah. Yeah, in August. I don't think that that sensor will, well, 
if it, if it completely dies, then it'll put you in an inducement D-rate and do the safe harbor mode where it tries to put you into five mile an hour D-rate. But if it's right. just speeding off and it hasn't died, I think it just puts you into a 25% D-rate, which really sucks, but you can kind of get it around uh, while you have yeah, it. Yeah, you, you can lamp into a shop at 50 miles an hour. Yeah, if it were my truck, I mean, depending on your situation with whatever loads you got to carry, whatever, I would probably drive it until the end of the month. I wouldn't be that afraid of okay. it. Okay, okay. Well, that's the, that's the main thing. And, and is the, the catalyst helping me or hurting me in any way with the snock sensor issue? That's definitely helping, and we're keeping everything clean. And the, the failure of the sensor could have nothing to do with the catalyst or lack of catalyst. And sometimes sensors simply just go bad when they're in a pretty hostile environment where they're at. I, I could see if you were overdosing, right. then that could cause the buildup on the snot sensor and cause it to die early. But um, well, I'm, I'm putting about two that. ounces per 50 in it. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh, should, I in, should I increase that or decrease it nope. or anything? Keep it, keep it just like that. Okay, so, about two ounces per 50. How many miles are on your one box? Uh, the truck has... Oh, let me get back to it. Four hundred and fifty-two thousand. So it's it's never been replaced. Yeah, so still have some life left in it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but I would say if that knock sensor is reading wrong, I mean, it's a good thing it's like a month. I wouldn't continue to drive on it because if yeah. it's reading high, for instance, then it's going to use more depth to kind of compensate for what it thinks is um, more knocks coming out of yeah, the. Yeah. It's it's not using more depth or anything. I mean, I, I keep the uh, 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 fuel mileage, you know, on it uh, on the Kevin's software. I, I keep track of my depth usage and my fuel usage, and it's, oh, yeah, it's not it's using any more depth. So if it drifts in the negative way, then that's good. So uh, yeah, yeah, I would be afraid to drive it to the end of the month, but yeah, I would really get it to somebody that will look at it and really determine what's wrong. Okay, okay, so I know what to tell them now when I take it in anyway. Yeah. All right, well, I appreciate you guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, let's... Thank you. Let's head off to Wyoming. Patrick, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. So about 18 months ago, I this 18, or this 07 W9, Put a A-cert cat in it, and uh, JR and I tuned it and screwed around with it, put it up to about a 1,000 horse and about 3,000 foot-pounds of torque, and it would pass everything on the road but a fuel stop, and then prices of fuel went up, and I called JR one day in a panic, and I said, listen, I said, we got to do something about this because this ain't going to fly at $5 a gallon. So... We put a 700-horse tune in it with about 2,500 foot-pounds of torque. And last, this thing was at, uh, or the quarter before, 4.35 for the quarter. And Heidi just ran the numbers, and we're at 6.54 for the quarter. 2.2 miles to the gallon, and I'm passing everything in sight and I'm sitting about 67, 68 miles an hour 
with 336s and this Acer Scott with a 13-speed uh, square nose truck, and, and we're a little over six and a half. So uh, uh, another another testimony what these guys will do when you present them a problem fuel mileage-wise uh, and and the stick to itiveness that these guys have got in the back office, these guys are to work with. Uh, and I'm a little biased. You know, I, I, I got the Pittsburgh power tattoo, so, you know, there you go. <laughs> I, I remember building that file, too, because usually when we do, like, our fuel economy testing on the dyno, we make our adjustments. I mean, we're searching for, like, two tenths, three tenths, and we made adjustments on that one, and like we saw, like a half to one, like three quarter, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. um, in certain sections of the map. And I was like, I, uh, I got to go back and flash back the stock and do it again because I just don't believe what I just like the changes we made right. made that big of a difference. But that's sort of a, a special file that we have in there. That's uh, that one has certainly been hey. kind of something we're proud. Of. So hey, hey, Patrick, when I got this truck. Yeah, I, I think you were saying ahead, that tongue. I think you were saying that tongue in cheek, but I'm going to check just to make sure. Do you have a Pittsburgh Power okay. tattoo? Uh, no, but on my so. laptop it says Pittsburgh Power right on the top of it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reason I asked, so. the reason I asked, Pete, you guys are going to have to step up your game because I do have two people with CMC tattoos and one with the Let's Truck tattoo. <laughs> They're real. Wasn't there a band? What's that? Are you sure it's yours? There's a band CMC. Are you sure it's yours? No, no, it was mine. Seriously, I was. I did a when the CMC first started. It was two days. It was just me. I mean, just me. I didn't even have anybody that traveled with me and helped me in the beginning. I he ended out the books, did everything, stood up there and talked for two days. I do my first day. I was in Vegas, of course. Had to be Vegas. I do my first day. We, we had a really, I, there were times where I would stay there till eight or nine o'clock at night. And, you know, we started at eight in the morning. So we finished up the first day. It was a long day. Um, it's Vegas. So a bunch of the guys go out partying. One guy walks in the next morning and he shows me the tattoo he got. He got a CMC tattoo after the event on the first day. I just thought, I, I just uh, couldn't believe it. But he did. I need to send um, Leroy and Jordan up for uh, tattoos after this. So there you go. If you have there an you idea. Go. Got to, no, and you got to step we'll up your them. game. You you know you've got you know loyalty when they're oh, getting okay. tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get one. Leroy. Uh, yes, Leroy, that program that we put in that bubble. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to. I haven't had a chance to do anything with it yet. But she ran the numbers on that truck for the quarter, and it was at seven oh five pulling that van. So I got a trip to make out to Iowa at the middle of this month with that truck, and then we're going to dial that fuel mileage in. But I just want to let you know that uh, with all my other stuff that went on there, uh, I've out on two of them trips, and that was trips that we were going to dial that fuel mileage in on, but we're we're getting there, okay? so I will give you an update when I get one. So your last trip was at seven. What was it on average before? Like, I, I think it was seven two seven, uh, and that truck doesn't have an APU on it. So when it's really hot, then it's got to run, of course. But uh, uh, I think the fuel mileage 
727 before we put that tune in. So okay. this, this next couple of trips, I got one on the 15th and one on the 31st. Uh, and and those two trips are going to dial that in, and we'll know exactly what uh, what that tune did for that truck. And yeah. and I'm hoping for eight. I'm hoping for eight and a half. I really am. Oh boy! If it gets eight and a half, I'll get. <laughs> well, you got to think big. I'll hey, I. Well, we got we got we we got to set that curb a little bit, you know. So there there you go. So yeah, no, that's. Been really challenging of all the ones I've done. I think Volvo is one of the more challenging ones. But uh, yeah, I mean, if we get eight and a half, I'll have to well, call Joe. He can he can tattoo Volvo left handed. <laughs> <laughs> like <the bottom. laughs> your bottom. There you yeah. go. Anyway, guys, thanks. Have a great day. All right, thanks all right. for the call. Let's go to Missouri. Mike, welcome to the program. Good morning. I have a question about swapping gear and ratios. I have a 14 C680 with an ISX in it, the 2350. It does have a dirty in it. Um, I would like, I have 325s with the uh, nine speed converts at 13. What would I benefit by throwing 264s in it? Okay. You said you had a nine speed? Yes, it's a nine speed converted to. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's a 13 convertible. All right, so that will be a double overdrive. Uh, You're going to have two overdrive gears, and 11th is going to be direct. Um, What you gain from 264s? How fast do you like to run most of the time? We run hot mode, so, I mean, we're we're looking, you know, I slow down a little bit, but we're right around that 67 to 70 mile mark. Oh, uh, yeah, that'll still work on an ISX. So the where you gain is, you know, you're going from, what, 325s, you said? Yeah. So I, we'd have to calculate this. I, I'm going to say it's probably not worth it unless you have done everything else you can possibly do to improve fuel economy, and this is the last thing you got. Is that where we are? The Yeah. Almost. I have a couple more items to do on the truck. I have the PD exhaust manifold on it, and then I do want to go back to a factory soon, <laughs> and then get it down to Pittsburgh Power. Like I said, it does have the dirty in it, and uh, mainly the reason I'm looking at it is the truck has a million miles on it as it sits right now. So uh, I did the oil samples from my rear ends, and they're showing copper already. So I know that we're getting close to needing new rear ends. <laughs> oh, so you've sampled them. Yeah, and it showed almost 300 and so much copper and okay. like seven, 800 iron in it. So I know we're getting ready to, to lose one here, at least the front, at least. I figured it's the time to do it. <laughs> well, let, and let's talk about that. Because if, if you are going to do rear ends, then that is the time to re-gear. But I'm not sure that that's a good decision or not. Um, are you prepared to do an in-frame on this thing when it's time? It already had an end frame. It had an end frame about 250000 ago. Ooh. How come so early? Uh, carbon padding. Okay. Because I was going to say, if you're not prepared to do an in-frame here soon, then don't spend all this money. But the in-frame's already been done. If you plan on keeping this truck, you could re-gear it, but 
I think I would wait till we really know for sure they need to be re-geared. So normally we were taking trucks that had started with 355s. And when you go to 264s, you gain a couple things. You can lower the RPM just a little bit, not much, at the same speed in a different gear. The biggest advantage is you're picking up that roughly 3% or so by being indirect on these older style transmissions. The newer transmissions have been designed so much better that there isn't as much difference anymore between an overdrive and underdrive direct. But on the older transmissions, it's two or three percent that that's what you pick up and when you do the math you know pete if you guys had to re-gear a truck today two axles what would it cost i mean we're, we're probably looking at like eight thousand anymore aren't we yeah, i was going to say upwards of ten. Ten. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the local kenworth said about seven grand and that's worth using my mine as a core even though it's a different ratio (laughs) yeah so use those numbers you can get it done for seven but you know do the math if you pick up the full three percent it takes us a while to pay back that seven thousand takes quite a quite a while even at today's fuel prices okay that's yeah that that was one of the other things in my mind but i mean i can't it's not that i can't afford a new truck i I'm not going to well, no, spend I, all the money yeah, to right. drop transmission on this one here, and there's just no new trucks available. So, <laughs> Yeah, we don't need to go buy a new truck, but, you know, you could just run these rear ends and sample them once in a while and, you know, keep... I mean, we very seldom see, uh, you know, a rear end fail all at once and leave us on the side of the road. It can happen, but it's pretty rare. Um differentials usually can last a long time i think i would finish up your you know the other fuel mileage stuff you still have the tune the manifold and i think i just hold off and wait a while okay and i have one more question if you don't mind do you change your fluid but yes i did change it yeah Yeah, it it had about three hundred thousand on it when it got changed but they did say there's possibly some contaminants in it but, I mean, it could have been the way I pulled the sample on that one there. Maybe some grease or something fell into it. I'm not, you know, 100% sure on that. So I do plan on resampling it to confirm, you know, the copper and all that there in it at least. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, like I said, I, that's a lot of money to be spending right now for just a very small gain. Yeah. My other question is, if you don't mind, if, no, can ahead. you guys tell me how many filters are actually inside that DPS box itself? Is there two or three? Uh, what's it now? It's a Cummins ISX, the 2350. I'm trying to figure out exactly how many filters are in that side, like uh, in the DPF system itself, like how many filters. I know we have the DPF, and I'm confused. Like, I know there's some people call it a DOC. I'm guessing that would be an, another filter altogether, so that would be two. And then is there also an SCR filter? Yeah, so the way the system is, is... um. The DOC is an oxidation catalyst, which its main purpose is to catch the fuel from the fuel doser, that's, which is behind the turbo. So the ECM will activate the fuel doser that sprays fuel onto this uh, DOC. And when the fuel lands on there, it reacts in such a way that it builds more heat than what the engine could make. So if the engine is making six, 700 degrees of 
exhaust temperature. Once fuel lands on this desulfoxidation catalyst and it reacts, it can now make like 900 to 1100 degrees of uh, temperature, which is used, that is directly in front, the DOC is directly in front of the DPF. So when the DOC makes, uh, you know, a thousand degrees of temperature, that burns off the soot inside of the DPF filter. So there is only one filter that actually is catching the particulates and that's right behind the DOC. So the DOC's job is to make heat for the DPF to burn off the soot. Um, so that's that whole system, right? And okay. the, per, the emissions that come out of the back of the DPF is then goes through a decomposition tube, which just means that that's where the def injector sits into. It sprays uh, diesel exhaust fluid, urea, def, whatever you want to call it, into the exhaust stream. And the decomp tube is meant to vaporize and sort of break down the urea into pieces that the SCR can use. So you spray DEF in, it breaks it down into usable uh, molecules or wherever you want to say, and that flows into the SCR. Now, the SCR's job is not to be a filter or anything. It's to convert whatever oxides of nitrogen in the exhaust stream down into just O2 and nitrogen, which is just naturally occurring uh, molecules in the atmosphere. So it breaks down N- NO2, NO3, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's why it's NOx because it's nitrogen oxides, where so it can be you know two oxygen molecules or three or four, however many. So that flows into your SCR, and the depth reacts with the SCR catalyst. It's not a filter; it's a catalyst. So it reacts with it and breaks that emissions down further into multiple pieces, and then that's when it finally makes its way into the atmosphere. That makes perfect sense, then. Well, I appreciate y'all's time with this. You're welcome. No Thanks for the call. All right. We're going to wrap this up for today. Anything uh, you guys want to close with? No, I think we're good. No? Yeah, right. I'm good. Sounds good. We are going to take a half hour break and then we're going to come back at 10 o'clock Eastern time for the pit. I know uh, John is joining me today. No, Stanford, I think we've verified. I'm not sure about John yet. Um, We're going to start that in about 30 minutes. That'll get us time to uh, get ready. I have some notes I want to finish. We haven't heard from John yet, so we'll see. But we will see you back here live in just about 30 minutes. Uh, Also, big day tomorrow. We'll see you then. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.